Good morning and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. I'm your editor, Bryce. And today we are wrapping up the OJ Simpson case with part three. So pour yourself a strong cup of joe and let's dive in. If you're just now joining us for this case, back in part one is when we covered the early life of OJ and the crime itself. And in part two, we covered the extensive trial. And now today, we're going to learn about the many different theories of who else might be involved in the case and why OJ may or may not actually be guilty. So I'm going to pass it off to Erica to start it off. Something a little weird about OJ is that he wrote a book before he went to prison this time that was titled if i did it it was originally titled if i did it here's how it happened and then he just condensed it to the if i did it but there was a lot of people that were really mad that he was going to be selling it and making money off of the murder of his wife that they believe he committed they made it so that he couldn't release it the goldman family actually went after him and sued him for the rights for the book and in 2007 they received the rights for the book and changed the name to, if I did it, The Confessions of a Killer, and then released the book. Which is absolutely insane. I mean, the book outlines if he were the killer, what would have happened, and all this kind of stuff. I have not read it. Have you guys? I have not read it. I found it on Amazon, and I was going to order it, but with all of the coronavirus stuff, it wasn't coming in. I actually have that book at the office of the building I work at. Um, I just realized that the other day I had mentioned this podcast to my boss and she's like, oh, I think we actually have that book in our, our library room. And sure enough, it's in there. I haven't read it yet, but if you if you want to, I could probably bring it for you guys. Yes, please. It's just a very interesting way to handle the situation, I think. One thing that I think is something to note, though, is that the Goldman family did get the rights to the book, meaning they could have changed anything in the book that they wanted. So how much of it is exactly what he wrote and how much of it is them twisting his words? But also, it's weird to initially write a book titled that in the first place, I think. I'll give you that. I mean, unless he was really interested in capitalizing on the idea for money and wording it as ambiguously and suspiciously as possible, and then maybe just at the end say something like, you know, if I had done it, this is how I would have done it, but really focusing on making it seem like it was a confession. That is a very solid point. He probably, I mean, I'm sure that book brought in quite a bit of money with how popular this case was and people are so still today interested in it. Okay, so I'm going to go through the theories that point away from OJ being the one that murdered Nicole and Ron. The first theory that I'm going to go into, there's not a whole lot behind it, is Marcus Allen, which one of the 911 calls you can hear OJ screaming about Marcus Allen in the background. And it's rumored that Marcus was having an affair with Nicole and that maybe it pissed somebody off or maybe that Marcus got super mad randomly and he's the one that ended up killing Nicole. I, I think the main thing that we need to focus or think about is that the main target in this is Nicole. Whoever went there went for her and Ron just happened to be there. So it could make sense that Marcus did it. There's not a whole lot behind that. Just the fact that if there was an affair, I mean, how often do affairs go as planned? Well, with this theory too, it makes me think about the fact when they do try to point towards OJ, they talk about how he 
was upset because he thinks Nicole is in a relationship with Ron. And in this theory, it kind of is the same thing, just from a different person's perspective. If he was with Nicole and she, he's seen her with this other man, he could have been triggered. And that's possible. I have seen and come across that rumor that she was having the affair with Ron. I don't know, I guess, what is real or not. I, I, There's a lot saying that Ron was just a friend of hers. I mean, I don't know that we'll ever really have an answer to that. Another theory that I found kind of goes along with what Abby was talking about with Nicole being a partier and going out doing drugs and just partying and sleeping around all the time. So there's a theory that there was a drug lord that she owed money to and they came after her. And once again, Ron just happened to be there. They also believe that it's possible that they were looking for Faye Resnick, which was a friend of Nicole's, and they accidentally took Nicole out. This drug lord took Nicole out on accident instead of Faye, which I think is a really far-fetched theory, but it's a theory that I came across on multiple sites. So there's people out there that believe it. The defense definitely does put a lot of stock into a theory relating to the fact that she was just in with the wrong group of people, whether that be just meeting someone at parties or having a dealer that she's not maybe paying. I think one thing that I have to keep reminding myself when thinking about these theories is that whoever did it had to have some sort of access to OJ's blood if it wasn't just evidence being tampered with, right? So that's one detail, and especially the hair fibers. So either there was definitely tampering with evidence or something gone wrong there or somebody just had to have had access to his blood so if it was just a random person that seems pretty darn far-fetched that it was not only a random person but also a lot of dna tampering and evidence tampering for no real reason i wonder if there's any scenarios with that where you know oj maybe was around nicole or ron that night that he didn't talk about maybe to hide the fact that he looked incriminating where maybe it was like an an accidental cut or something and that would explain his blood at the scene but i agree it seems weird that his blood was there if it was some random person another theory that i found was that oj was under mind control by the illuminati or possessed by a demon so erica is saying OJ did it. No, Erica's not <laughs> saying OJ did it. Hey, to be fair and completely objective, if you're going to put any stock into this, it would make sense because it's kind of where you were going with the whole Bryceless Pizza thing, right? A little bit of mind control or demon possession going on? No, the theory is that OJ was a CIA agent and the Illuminati got to him and put him under some sort of mind control with the goal of causing racial tension. I mean, the racial tension part was there i'm not sure i guess i don't know a lot about the connection between the illuminati and the cia so i don't really know how to respond to that i have no response i mean that's just one of those where if you can think of anything then just say it and so i have no response another theory this one has a little bit more stock in it that oj possibly hired a hitman to take out nicole and the person that they seem to connect to this case as being the hitman is someone named Glenn Rogers, otherwise known as the Casanova killer. Glenn Rogers admitted to having killed over 70 people, and he claims that he killed Nicole and Ron. He is known to have started killing people in 1995, but he says that he met Nicole at a party in 1994, 
and that he went decided to go after her for some reason they were only able to connect him to two different murders though and that's all he was ever convicted for so again thinking about the situation with the evidence did he just do it really poorly and mixed up oj's dna into it like like i always keep circling back to that like if if it was a hitman then clearly he did a very poor job or there was always some sort of underlying theme of somebody intentionally messing up evidence this is where my next theory goes and this is the theory that i'm going to spend a lot more time in and that i believe more than any of the other theories and could actually see being plausible and that is jason simpson and that would be the oldest son of oj and nicole's stepson A lot of what I'm going to tell you about comes from a book titled OJ is Innocent and I Can Prove It by William Deere. So William Deere is a private investigator that opened his own investigation agency in 1961 and decided to really dive into this case and do his best to help get some answers for everybody. So everything that I'm going to be naming really comes from his book i was able to find a lot of it in other places as well and i added different pieces a little background on jason is that prior to the murders he was diagnosed with intermittent rage disorder which is more commonly known as jekyll and hyde syndrome so for those of you that don't know it's basically when somebody has two personalities but one personality is super nice and one personality is kind of that evil darker side of you the way you describe that reminds me of how abby described the crime earlier as being something conducive with rage and just pure anger so if somebody had slipped into the evil side of their own personality then that would explain why this was just so over the top and violent i do wonder how many crimes are could be associated with this syndrome You know, you hear a lot about people who talk about their crimes they've committed and they say, you know, they just snapped or they blacked out or this and that. And I wonder how many you could apply this to. I also think a lot of those might fall into the category of people trying to claim insanity or just trying to make themselves less responsible for the crime by saying, oh, I couldn't control it or I wasn't fully consciously there. Yeah, kind of separating yourself from it so you don't have to really accept all the guilt associated Jason was actually taking a medication called Depakote to control his rage and his seizures. However, in January 1994, six months before the murders, he went to the emergency room because he heard voices of people that weren't there and said he felt that he was going to rage because he had ran out of his medication. They gave him more medication and he started taking it. But then two months before the murders, he stopped taking the medication again. Jason had been abusing alcohol, ecstasy, and cocaine as early as age 14, and he had been arrested at least four times for a DUI, driving with a suspended license, and assault with a deadly weapon. He also had medical records showing that he had tried three different suicide attempts. So that rage and that anger was kind of, was there. Well, and the drugs don't help that. Yeah, I would say that those probably were more harmful than good for him. There was also a letter that was found that experts identified to be the handwriting of Jason Simpson that was titled Dear Jason. And in the letter, they wrote about killing anyone who hurt his loved ones and how he felt like Jekyll and Hyde. To go with Jason's rage, he had nearly killed a girlfriend of his in the past with a knife and had almost seriously injured another one of his girlfriends in a fit of rage. As Bryce talked about, 
Nicole Brown Simpson and her family were supposed to dine at Jason's restaurant the night of the murders, but she had chosen another restaurant without telling Jason. And they believed that this really pissed Jason off, that his family just decided not to show up. And I couldn't really find anything that talked about the relationship that Jason and Nicole had prior to this, but I'm assuming it was an okay-ish one if she had agreed to come to his restaurant. A lot of people say that there was no time for Jason to be able to commit this crime. However, the murders are speculated to have taken place between 9.45 and 10.05 p.m. And according to the time card, Jason left work around 9.50 p.m. And there's no alibi for where he was after that. One suspicious thing about that, though, is that the time card for the night of the murders was handwritten instead of the electronic time clock that could have been monitored more accurately. And the electronic time clock was working at the time. So there was really no explanation for why it was handwritten. So then that would definitely be a case of, let's say the murder did happen at 945 and he could just easily write a manual time card and writing that says he was there till 950. So maybe it leaves some space if the murder didn't actually happen till 1005 or whenever that he could have done it. But if he knew it happened at 945, he gave himself some time. So you know what? I was actually at work till 950. So it makes sense to me and totally suspicious if the electronic one was working. I do wonder if anybody he works with saw him leave or when he left. Um, I think that would be interesting to find out. The written thing is very strange to do, though, if the electronic one is working just fine. I agree with that. I do agree. The only thing I could find was that he had no alibi for that time period. So I'm assuming nobody at work saw him. If he did really leave at 9.50, it's really not that much time. That's like a 15-minute window, and that's assuming him getting to the place of the murders. But the bodies weren't discovered until a little bit later. So the murderer could have very well been there for a little bit after. They don't necessarily have to be out of the area by 10.05 for that time frame to fit for anybody. Correct. And one of the things of evidence that Abby had mentioned was the Black Navy watch cap that had been found at the scene of the crime. And there are photos of Jason actually wearing that exact same hat. Then there was one that was dated from March 24th, 1993 of him wearing that hat. And for those of you who don't recognize that name that we've been using, it looks kind of like a sock hat, like or like one you'd wear out in the cold to cover your ears. That same hat was admitted into evidence and they found hair fibers on it consistent with OJ's, but what does that actually mean, Erica? Yeah, I want to go into that. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. So the forensic expert that looked at the hairs that were found at the crime scene decided that the best way to determine who they belonged to was to take a sample of OJ's hair and put the two next to each other and say that they had the same characteristics. There was no DNA testing done of any of the hair found on the crime scene. Basically, they're the same color and likely from an African-American male, right? To be fair, if he's only saying that it's consistent with, I guess that's fair. He's not saying it's a match. He's not saying there's DNA matching. So consistent might be an okay word to use. 
but it does seem a little like he's trying to push some sort of agenda by using that type of terminology. I would also like to just throw it out there that we did a wrongful conviction case recently that the forensic expert in that case was actually fired and lost her job because she was comparing the characteristics of hair and then sentencing people and trying them, like taking it to trial and testifying that they were the same because they had the same characteristics. And so we now know that that's not something that you can do. So if that's what he, that's how he did it, then it doesn't 100% mean that it was actually OJ. It could have been that of his offspring. I was going to roll with it. It could have been, oh, I don't know, his son. (laughs) Basically what Erica just said. (laughs) That's fine. Or any other African-American person with the same color hair. One of Jason's ex-classmates told William, the author of the book, that Jason had been trained in hand-to-hand combat as well as field knife training when he was attending the Army and Navy Academy. And apparently, OJ hates the sight of blood. Whether or not that was something OJ came up with after the crime, I don't know. Or if that was just something that has kind of been his whole life. But I thought that that was really interesting. It's very interesting because he was an athlete. And you're definitely around blood in athletics a number of times. I'm also feeling like if somebody is really a murderer and or wanting to do this... That if they're thinking about doing the crime and they're like, wait a minute, there might be blood. Better not. <laughs> you know, even if they are scared of blood, I don't know. That seems goofy to me. He also conveniently had crippling arthritis after. Well, he's always said he's had arthritis, but it was so much that he couldn't do anything after the fact. You know, it's it's a good thing to say if you did commit a murder. Yeah, I would agree with that. The pictures of Ron Goldman showed that he had badly bruised and swollen hands, and he was a third-degree black belt, so there's lots of evidence that he had struck hard blows to the assailant. However, the next day, OJ voluntarily stripped at the LAPD, and there were no marks or bruises that indicated he had been in any sort of scuffle. Yeah, OJ was fairly cooperative when they first brought him in. He, He gave a hair sample, a DNA sample, and fingerprints right off the bat. Would a guilty man do that? William Deere, which, like I said, the author of the book, actually bought contents of a storage locker that was owned by Jason Simpson around the time of the murders. And guess what he found in it? Stuff. Gloves. <laughs> Dead people. Can you make an actual guess? Knives. A weapon of some sort? A knife, perhaps? He was a chef, right? He would have lots of knives. You! <laughs> was Erica in there? <laughs> Yes, it was a knife. Okay. Oh. And this knife matched the description of the murder weapon. Yeah, but a lot of knives kind of did because they didn't do the right kind of testing during the autopsy. Correct. But after world-renowned forensic scientist examined the knife that was found in that storage locker, he said that the butt of the knife matches the blow and injury that Nicole suffered on the top of her head. A few more things. The LAPD found 15 separate unidentified fingerprints at the scene that did not belong to OJ, but they never compared Jason's fingerprints to determine whether or not he did it. Feels like a bad move for the assailant to wear gloves for the crime and then also leave fingerprints. I would agree. Probably not the best idea. Well, it obviously worked out for whoever it was. It did. My theory that I kind of have with Jason is that... And that other people have with Jason is that he possibly did the crime and OJ was trying to help cover up what Jason did because 
father covering for his son. It makes sense. Which would make sense with the guilt that OJ was feeling in his suicide note and saying he deserved to die. That does fit with that. It does. There's also the fact that the day after the murders and before OJ was even arrested, OJ hired top criminal attorney Carl Jones to represent Jason, even though Jason wasn't a suspect at the time. That does seem suspicious. However, I wonder, too, if that's something when you have that much money and it's so close to home, you would do automatically. I know because OJ Simpson was such good friends with Robert, he immediately was representing OJ and saying, you know, we're going to get ahead of this now. Yeah, I don't know, I guess, the exact method that you would go through if this was the situation you were in and you had all of that money. It's just something that's kind of suspicious, especially since Jason wasn't even a suspect. Another thing that I'd like to point out about Jason to kind of drag his name through the dirt more than I already have is that he was on probation at the time of the murders for assault with a deadly weapon for attacking his boss with a kitchen knife. So we definitely had a thing for attacking people with knives, because I know you mentioned his past girlfriends had some similar experiences. As you keep pointing out more and more of these, I feel like this starts to transition from a lot of circumstantial stuff to sort of forming an M.O. of him as a person. And that kind of, I see why you feel so suspicious about him, Erica. Yeah, for your guys' reference, because while Bryce and I were kind of giving the facts of the case, Erica has a very strong opinion about this case that leans away from... I think a majority of people. I definitely think that Jason is the one that actually committed the crime. I have some personal theories about OJ being involved. I pretty much went through everything I could find about Jason. I mean, there's a lot of stuff where there was evidence and DNA evidence found on the scene and it could be compared to OJ, but Jason had similar DNA to his father. So the DNA that was coming back that was pretty strongly, most likely OJ, could also possibly have been Jason. And then all the DNA that wasn't able to be tied to OJ could have fallen under Jason as he was never considered a suspect. So they never compared his DNA to any of it. There were some crime scene experts after the case was all said and done and they studied all the material and evidence and everything. And they they said that Jason should have been considered a major suspect in the murders. I think that the reason he wasn't was everybody was just so gung-ho about it being oj and they didn't even want to look into these other theories especially once the glove was found on his property and if the glove was slightly too small then maybe his son who would maybe be slightly smaller and didn't have arthritis you know who knows and the investigation most definitely didn't happen for anything other than oj because they immediately suspected him and he was charged like a week or so after the murders I'm just imagining a courtroom where they went around. It's like, all right, try on this glove. Just everybody in the courtroom until they found a match. (laughs) That's such a strange thing to even focus on because I feel like hand size could vary quite a bit. You know, a lot of people could have the same. It's also kind of reminds me of like the, it sounds so stupid, the Cinderella story. It's what I think of every time. Where it's like, was she the only size six in the entire kingdom? And that's the reason that that, like how many people probably had medium sized hands or whatever size the glove was? You probably had fairly large hands. Here's how I think that OJ tied into this with Jason. So I think that it's possible Jason left work forged the time on his clock-in sheet, went and murdered Nicole and Ron, possibly called OJ, 
and said, hey, dad, I messed up. Can you come help? And OJ showed up to help. And that could explain why some of it did belong to OJ that was on the scene if he showed up to help with Jason. And maybe he did take a glove with him for whatever reason. Maybe he was trying to frame himself so that Jason didn't get in trouble for everything. Maybe Detective Furman put the glove there. But I think that Jason did it, but OJ was well aware of it. And still to this day, the two of them are covering this up together. I think, too, it's entirely possible that if Jason had committed it, he ran to his dad's house, who was close by, to find him for help. And maybe if he if the glove was Jason's, he did drop it there. That could be possible, too. And maybe, I wonder how, do you know it, um, how like big Jason was, his height and weight? Because I wonder if he would match also the description of the man that the limousine driver saw going across the driveway. I could not come across the height and the weight of Jason at the time of the murders. I mean, he wasn't considered a suspect, so I don't really think that there was a ton of information collected on him. From photos, though, he looks pretty similar to his father. So it's possible he was the one running across the lawn to get his dad for help. So what do you guys think about the theories? I think the one thing that is probably the most important is that there's something to do with the blood and the hair. Something I I feel like OJ had to have been involved somehow whether it was with his son or staging some sort of evidence, like something fishy's up there. I don't, I don't know if I have a personal theory about a specific person, but I feel like OJ knows a lot more about it than he would make it seem like he does. I kind of agree. This case always has, every time I look into it, it has me going back and forth because I think when, when you see OJ and him talking, he seems fishy, I think, and I can see probably listening to the Jason theory too, how it'd be, it would make sense to assume he would be involved as well. But for me, ultimately, I lean pretty heavily towards the Illuminati. Are you being serious? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I was hoping you were. <laughs> Their faces stopped. That <laughs> 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 you did, you both went. <laughs> but it's times like this that I wish we were video broadcasting as well. <laughs> a good one but i think i'm kind of up in the air i definitely think that oj was involved whether it be directly or indirectly i don't think he's completely innocent there's some sort of underlying story that we don't we just don't know about i don't think it was as clear-cut as just oj doing it or one person doing it there was some sort of manipulation done intentionally and i feel like it was probably a collaboration of more than one person and there's too many different types of strange things going on. The thing that's interesting with this case is, I think kind of what you were getting at, is there's nothing concrete, it feels like. There's nothing, almost. I hate to use the word factual because there's all this stuff, but even with the DNA evidence, there's all this speculation that it was planted and not actually there from crime or whatever. So... It feels like nothing's concrete is set in stone and everything can be disputed one way or the other. Because if you just follow the chain of logic, like if you just start with OJ did it, then you can immediately just use the example of the gloves that that's so bizarre about that he would just forget the glove there and the other one shows up at his house. Like the most basic thing that you would pay attention to if you're committing a crime that already throws it like for such a wide loop. And then if you then go to the other side and you know say that there was manipulation from the investigators or something then then you have a whole lot of other things that don't make sense so it's like each theory that you focus on feels like 
such a small part of it, and then there's such a wide gap that's still open. So it's it's got to be some sort of combination of two or three of these things, and it's it's just so hard to know, and that's probably why this case is so infamous and lasted so long. We would love for you all to let us know what you think and some of your theories and where you lean towards in regards to the case. Yeah, do you think that OJ did it? His son Jason did it? The Illuminati did it? Or a whole other person? Someone? Maybe you have a theory we haven't heard. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. 